had snacks, fellowshiped. Um, we, um, we also gave our testimonies, what we were grateful for, got into the word a little bit, had a devotion, and then worshiped. I think we worshiped for like, what, two hours or so. I don't, it was just one after another as far as just songs and just, it was, it was a wonderful time. So um, we're going to do that every year. Next year, we'll do the same thing. Just open it up to the church, whoever would like to go out there. It's the day before Thanksgiving. Normally, people have the, the, you know, the day off. And um, so whoever would like to go to Joshua Tree, um, you know, we, we would love. The, the more, the merrier. You know, just take everyone. A church up at Joshua Tree. That's what we had. And it was just absolutely beautiful. Um, <clears throat> this evening, we, uh, we continue our study through the book of Second Chronicles. We're in chapter 24. And, you know, I was thinking as we're going to go into the, um, the life of Joash or continue the reign of Joash over the southern kingdom of Judah, uh, I was thinking in light of what we're about to go into, um, just, I always think about application. You know, we, we need to understand the Word of God. We need to understand it in its context. And as we do, we have to interpret it accurately, uh, interpret it in a manner that is within the context of what the Lord says and what He means, right? With that, though, I'm always interested in how it is that we can apply the Word of God. And so, as we take a look at this chapter and consider the life of Joash and what we're going to learn about him, and more importantly about God, um, I have these thoughts in regards to our relationship with the Lord. Sometimes, you see, we can our faith and our relationship with the Lord is dependent upon someone else. Someone else that is, um, we're riding their coattails. We are uh, depending on their encouragement. We're depending on their faithfulness. We're depending on their consistency. We're depending on their counsel. We're depending on, and we can go on and on and on, right? But if they weren't in the picture, perhaps our faith would crumble. And that's something that we need to think about. Can our faith stand alone? When trials hit, when we are met head-on with challenges, when we ourselves are challenged, when the Lord allows us to go through trials and tribulation, the question for us to be able to answer is, yes, my faith and my relationship with Jesus Christ will stand no matter what. That's what we always hope that our kids will come to at some point that they, in and of themselves, love Jesus, desire nothing more than to walk with him, to honor him, to bless him, to serve him. And so we're going to see that tested in the life of Joash this evening. Joash, uh, just a quick reminder, he was seven years old when he began to reign over the southern kingdom of Judah. He had been brought up in the house of the Lord, surrounded by men who served the Lord. Uh, he, remember, was kept from being assassinated by Ataliah, by Jehoshabeth, who was uh, the wife of another courageous man that we'll learn more about this evening. 
Joash was brought up under the tutelage of courageous people. He was surrounded with courageous people and under the instruction and example of men who served the Lord. It was, it was an incredible environment. Talk about setting him up for the best. The best relationship with the Lord. Um, an example of what it looks like to serve the Lord. And that, by the way, is something that we encourage here. Um, here at Refuge, we encourage um, the, uh, the, the younger ladies, the ones that, that are coming up to get into the Bible study so that they can see the older women and they can be encouraged and discipled by the others, have a good example set before them so that they know how to interact with each other and also that they would benefit from the wisdom of the older women. Likewise, the men. In men's studies in the small groups, we have young men I'm talking what is young as 10, 10 years old in there. And I love it because they do their study. And for the most part, these young men are the ones who are stirring up the pot. They're the ones that encourage the older. They're the ones that have the memory verse memorized. And they will spit it out just like that. And so it challenges the older. But the older have an opportunity to pour into the younger. And so this is what we have with Joash. He was brought up in the house of the Lord for, the, for six years prior to his, his anointing and being placed in that, into that, uh, uh, onto the throne of Judah. He was brought up in that wonderful environment. He had every opportunity to be a man of God who served the Lord as king of Judah, leading the nation and glorifying God. So let's see how this all works out and Again, as I said earlier, what we can learn from the life of Joash. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time that we can spend in your word. Truly, it is a privilege. And I ask, Lord, that by your spirit, you would give us understanding, that you would teach us all things that pertain to you. And Lord, help us. Help us, Lord, to gain knowledge and understanding and then figure out how how to apply these things. And, and in the midst of our time spent in your word, Lord, that we would submit ourselves to the authority of your word, that in this time there would be a work of sanctification that is completed in this time. And so, Father, we commit our study into your hands, Lord, this wonderful time that we can sit at your feet. We ask, Lord, that you would speak to us and give us ears to hear and hearts to obey. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So 2 Chronicles chapter 24, verse 1. Joash was seven years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zibiah of Beersheba, and Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. Jehoiada got for him two wives, and he had sons and daughters. So Joash reigned for a long time. He began reigning when he was seven years old, and he reigned for 40 years as king of Judah. Overall, he did well. As we read here, it says that Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But there is one special note that we also read. It says that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, all the days of Jehoiada, the priest. So this little detail is something very important for us to make a note of, pay attention to. Because it implies that as long as Jehoiada 
the priest was alive, Joash did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, what was good. But sadly, things changed when Jehoiada died. And the details of that we're, we're going to cover a little bit later as we continue through this chapter. But remember that Jehoiada was a courageous man who gathered all the leaders in Judah together to make the rightful person king in Judah, together to make him the one who was the successor to the throne king over Judah. I remind you also that his wife was Jehoshabeth, who had taken Joash uh, when he was just one years old and hid him in the house of the Lord. So she placed her life on the line in order to do that which was right, even though it was against Ataliah, who was putting all of the king's sons to death. Well, this character is serving the kingdom and the people of God. That is a character that is courageous. Uh, a characteristic that is reflective of a person of faith who has great conviction on whom it is that they are serving. Listen, one man with a very strong presence and influence uh, on a whole kingdom can make an impact that is far beyond the imagination what we can even see taking place on the surface. Such a man was Jehoiada. The same can be true, though, in the negative. Just as we can influence and impact a group of people, many people, and even a nation, can be true of us in a negative way. This is why, as God's people, we are commanded to not be unequally yoked. 1 Corinthians 15.33, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, it says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? But... In the right and godly way, we are to encourage one another to be and do those things that glorify God. Hebrews 10.24 says, And let us con uh, consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That kind of influence makes a great impact in the believer, in the fellow brother or sister in Christ, encouraging them to continue on, to not lose heart. In Hebrews chapter 3, in verse 12, it says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. That's one of the things that we, well, we, we encourage each other to persevere through. To not lose heart. To not allow 
each other, to have hardened hearts. If we submit one to another, if we serve to encourage one another, if we stir each other up to love and good, good works, and we, if we invest in each other, that is what we encourage each other in, in our walks with the Lord. That's why it's important for us to remain in fellowship, to be active in fellowship. Well, Jehoiada was a man who served to build up people in the Lord and to do the right thing. Especially as it pertained to King Joash. Jehoiada, it says, got him two wives with whom he had sons and daughters with. Now, this is scripture as, as we read it. It says what it says. We can't. Uh, read into it. We can't make comment on anything that is not explicitly stated for us here, but our tendency is, in fact, to speculate, isn't it? But we're not told why Jehoiada got him too wise, but perhaps it was in an effort to secure the Davidic lineage after it had almost been extinguished. I mean, after all, Joash was the only son that was left. This is our tendency as well, to secure something in the flesh that we never had the power or authority to establish in the first place. Oh, we, we worry. We work so hard. We try and finish in the flesh what was started in the Spirit. I know that was one of the encouragements that Pastor Chuck would give often. You know, for him, he understood that what was begun in the Spirit needs to continue in the Spirit and needs to be completed in the Spirit in order to bless and honor and glorify the Lord. For us, we mess things up. When we get in there and we try and finish something in the flesh that God had started, He has the authority, He has the power. Not only to begin, but to complete that which he has begun. God is able. We cannot do something that only God has the capacity to do. In fact, we're told in Philippians 4, 6, to not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, to let our requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. We need our hearts and our minds to be guarded in Christ. We need to be reminded that he's still on the throne. He's the one doing the work. We simply are partnering up with him. We are co-laborers with Christ, but he's the one with the power and the authority. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It would do us good to remember, to maybe commit to memory, Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Always keep that in mind. In your life, when you're trying to... Uh, you know, trying to do something, and you're worried, you're anxious... You are stressed out, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. 
Learn and apply these lessons by not repeating them. But do not receive, justify, or excuse your compromises. Using these as examples of why you fall short. Sometimes we can, we can look at Scripture, we can look at the shortcomings of some people, and then we think, well, we also doubt. We can look at doubting Thomas, right? We say, well, well, I have some doubt too. Well, that father that said, I believe, help my unbelief. And we say, well, yeah, I have unbelief too. I believe, but I, I need more belief. It's like, no, no, we look at those people and, and we think, what can we learn from their lives that we may not repeat their doubt, their anxiety, their worries, their stress, their shortcomings? You know, 1 Corinthians 10, 6 says, now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. It's wonderful to look at Scripture and know that as God says, be holy for I am holy, that we can draw close to him, we can use all of these examples to benefit us, that we ourselves don't find ourselves in these kinds of uh, situations because we should at some point, no better. Not that we are perfect, not that we won't err, but we should, we should sin less, we should err less as we know these things or pop up quickly, confess that we've fallen short and continue to walk uprightly with the Lord. Apply the good, reject what is bad. Verse 4, as we continue, says, After this, Joash decided to restore the house of the Lord. And he gathered the priests and the Levites and said to them, Go out to the cities of Judah and gather from all Israel money to repair the house of your God from year to year, and see that you act quickly. But the Levites did not act quickly. So the king summoned Jehoiada the chief and said to him, Why have you not required the Levites to bring in from Judah and Jerusalem the tax levied by Moses? the servant of the Lord, and the congregation of Israel for the, for the tent of testimony. For the sons of Ataliah, that wicked woman, had broken into the house of God and had also used all of the dedicated things of the house of the Lord for the Baals. Well, Joash had, on, had in his heart to restore the house of the Lord. It was in need of repair. It was in need of being restored, renovated, it needed repairs for it to be brought back into the state it had been in before and should be in. The desire to restore and the instructions that Joash had given to the priests and Levites to go and collect uh, the money necessary to restore the house of the Lord were clear and precise. There is no ambiguity, uh, uh, ambiguity about this. these instructions. They were clear and concise. This is exactly what I want you to do. But as we read, for whatever reason, those orders were not acted upon quickly. I've heard it said before, and we know it to be true. Delayed obedience is disobedience, right? When we know to do right, and we don't do it, to him it is, it is sin, Right? Well, Joash had instructed them, saying, he, and he said this in addition to the clear and concise instructions. 
and see that you act quickly. He wanted it done right away. You see, Joash knew that it was important to restore the house of the Lord, and he wanted it done today. Let's, let's get it done right away. Let's start on this work right now. Why wait? You see, the house of the Lord was in disrepair. And whenever the house of the Lord, we see it in disrepair, and we, we desire above all that the Lord would be glorified, that his worship would be facilitated, then it grieves our hearts when we see the house of the Lord in disrepair. For Joash, this is what is implied by what he said. See that you act quickly. Do this immediately. The house of the Lord had been neglected. It had been long enough. We need to remember that the Lord was their God, and these were God's people. The worship of God amongst God's people is central to their existence and purpose. When the things of God are in disrepair in our own lives, when we neglect tending to what facilitates the worship of God, when we refuse to serve God, we actually demonstrate that the things of God and God himself, in reality, are despised as we prove by our own lives that other things are more important than him. Oh, how we tend to the things of God and serve God is a direct reflection of our hearts, of our hearts' true, true passions. Listen, I... I know the very place in which we're sitting in is not the actual temple of God. Uh, God does not dwell in buildings. He dwells in you and I. But this is a place of worship. To neglect what is important to God reflects a heart that is negligent toward God. And the bottom line is it's, it's a heart that reflects something that isn't good toward him, a, a, a bad disposition. And as we realize those things, we ought to confess and repent and then return to those things, doing those things that align with the word of God and bring him glory, Revering him, respecting him, honoring him, serving him in all respects, in every aspect of life, including the place where we come to worship. I remember a long time ago, I was, I was taught that this is a stewardship. The house of God, we, we ought to give him the best. We ought to... If we're going to do something, well, I, I read somewhere, I think it's 1 Corinthians 10.31, right? Whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, do all to the glory of God. So as we serve him, as we gather together for me, and for those of you who have served alongside me for some time, you know that details are important, right? Yeah. Details are important. It's because this is a stewardship. 
This is something that we should look at as we're serving the Lord, where this is a, a, something that we're caring for that doesn't really belong to us at all. We're simply handling that which God has entrusted to us. You want to know what the Lord thinks about our service unto him? You can jot down Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 16. If you want to know what the Lord thinks about fellowship with the saints, look no further than Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. You can also look at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. You want to know what he thinks about discipleship? Well, look no further than the Great Commission found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. About how about the work of evangelism? Jot down 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. All of these things are important to the Lord. We are to neglect not one of those things. And we should do all of those things with excellence paying attention to the details of God's word and then applying those things to our lives that we may participate in worshiping him, in living our lives as living sacrifices. Well, we know that in contrast, the Levites did not act quickly as we read. So the king called, well, he called on the chief priest, Jehoiada. Joash held him accountable. Questioning why he had failed to collect from Judah and Jerusalem what was necessary to restore the house of the Lord. Those who did not have the same desire as the king were quickly revealed by them not acting, by them not following through with what the king had instructed them to do. How can people do this? Well, instead of telling them what the king was requesting of them, the Levites may have assumed that the people would not do what was being asked, and therefore they didn't go ask at all, as they were told to. Sometimes we can think that, you know. Ah, that's a big ask. I don't know if they'll follow through with that. That's a lot to put on someone. Perhaps the Levites' attitude was that they thought the people would also reflect their attitude, attributing their own issues onto others. It's called, in, in our vernacular today, it's called projecting. It's a form of delusion and denial. Blame shifting. It's attempting to justify our own wrongful hearts. You can either be obedient to God and communicate what is required to others or remain silent and attempt to excuse yourself and others from being obedient. You know, we can do that very well. We convince ourselves, oh, that's much for me, so I know it's going to be much for others. No, give them the opportunity to serve. Just be obedient to what the Lord's standard is. Speak that, communicate that, explain it. Because we need to be very careful, be, be very careful what we encourage. 
as I said before, we can encourage on the side of obedience or we can encourage on the side of disobedience. I've seen both. I see both. We tend to do that. Now, we see the reason as we read here why the house of the Lord was in disrepair. It was because Ataliah and her sons had taken and used all the dedicated things for the worship of God to worship an idol, a false god, Baal. For the worship of what was an offense to God, idols, false gods, that are nothing and can do nothing and reflect deception in empty hearts. In fact, it made me think of Jeremiah uh, chapter 16, verses 19 and 20. It says, O Lord, my strength and my stronghold, my refuge in the day of trouble, to you shall the nations come from the ends of the earth and say, Our fathers have inherited nothing but lies, worthless things in which there is no profit. Can man make for himself gods? Such are not gods. In Isaiah chapter 44, verse 9, it says, All who fashion idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know, that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a god or casts an idol that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen are only human. Let them all assemble. Let them stand forth. They shall be terrified. They shall be put to shame together. Verse 18 says, They know not, nor do they discern, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see in their hearts, so that they cannot understand. No one considers, nor is there knowledge or discernment to say, Half of it I burned in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and have eaten. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray. And he cannot deliver himself or say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? As we consider the things that we have the tendency to idolize, we need to realize they're they're nothing. They're empty. They're not not, not a God at all. There's only one God. And these are the things that Ataliah and her sons took from the house of the Lord and used them, used those things that were meant to be set aside and dedicated to the worship of God and serving Him and used them to serve their false gods. What an abomination. Well, As we look at this and we consider that Joash, at this point, had desired in his heart to restore the worship of the one only true God, Almighty God. And since the Levites failed to respond to his instructions, well, he was forced to do something else. Verse 8, as we continue, says, So the king commanded, and they made a chest and set it outside the gate of the house of the Lord. And proclamation was made throughout Judah and Jerusalem to bring in for the Lord the tax that Moses, the servant of God, laid on Israel in the wilderness. 
And all the princes and all the people rejoiced and brought their tax and dropped it into the chest until they had finished. And whenever the chest was brought to the king's officers by the Levites, when they saw that there was much money in it, the king's secretary and the officer of the chief priest would come and empty the chest and take it and return it to its place. Thus they did day after day and collected money in abundance. So the king did something different. He had a wooden box constructed, made, placed it outside the gate of the house of the Lord, and an official, a royal public announcement went out to everyone in Judah and Jerusalem for everyone to pay their portion of the taxes that had been established and required by the law of Moses. And this came straight from the king to everyone. It was communicated. I also considered the previous problem as, as we just heard about Ataliah, we were reminded of Ataliah and the abuses of this woman and also her sons. There was waste and fraud by that leadership. So Joash establishes a system by which the taxes would be collected and brought directly to the king's secretary, accounted for and planned for accordingly. This was all for the purpose in this moment of repairing the house of the Lord. You know, I'm reminded some years ago, I, I read through this section of Scripture, and then I thought, you know, I, I've heard, have you ever heard the term Joash box? Some of you may have heard the term Joash box, and, and uh, if, if someone uh, makes reference to that in a church, they're making reference to a wooden box that's placed in the back of the sanctuary in some area, and it's for people who... Um, perhaps that's what they prefer to do to drop off their tithe, their offering, and we have one right in the back. And it's, it's a Joash box. It's, it's, it's a box that is there, it's under lock and key, and, uh, and people can put in their tithes, their offerings, um, as, as the Lord stirs their hearts. So I, I, I think about this, and I, I think about the joy that the people had. They were filled with joy, but this was nothing new. As we are told here, this goes back to the law of Moses. In Exodus chapter 35, verses 4 through 5, uh, it says, Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution Gold, silver, and bronze, and it went on from there. And then in verse 29, it says, All the men and women, uh, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work of the Lord, had commanded uh, by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. It was their choosing. As the Lord stirred it up, stirred up in their hearts to be generous, so it was that they followed through. And they had everything that they needed, both on that occasion and also here as we see with Joash. Listen, God can provide the financial means to build the house of the Lord, to do anything that he pleases to do. He could do that through a series of miracles. For example, the story of when Jesus told Peter to go find a shekel to pay the taxes 
in the mouth of a fish as he fished. And he did. And he paid the taxes. That's found in Matthew chapter 17, verses 24 through 27. But always remember that our expression of faith and love for God always requires the exercise of our individual free will. For those of you who have children, you know this to be true. There's nothing that warms the heart of a father or a mother more. Nothing that displeases us than when our children take it upon themselves to do something. If it's not done on a regular basis, it's even a bigger blessing, isn't it? You think, wow. (laughs) Well, wait a minute, what do you need? But isn't it a blessing? Oh, what, what encouragement. And then when they realize that that this is what blesses you, this is what pleases you, and they desire to do that, oh man, there's, there's nothing better. What, what would you not do, right? But it's the exercise of our free will that expresses our love, our respect towards someone else. And you can do that with any relationship. You can do that in a relationship with a friend or someone who has authority over you. There's a way that you can show this this love and respect for that person by simply just doing things out of just your desire to, to do those things. So it is with our God. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. You see, you and I have the power to choose to do that which glorifies the Lord, or on the other side of the coin, we can also choose to do that which shames the Lord. You either honor him or dishonor him, and it's always your choice. This is true of giving as well. God chooses to use his people to fund his work. That's what he does. Of course, he does stir the hearts of other people as he sees fit. Provide materials. Provide finances. Do the work of the Lord. But he's looking to his people to be the example of a heart that is willing. This serves to prove whether we're generous or selfish, benevolent or disinterested, overflowing or meager. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, it says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know what we just read here in 2 Chronicles chapter 24 these are, these are cheerful givers. Are we cheerful givers? Or are we misers and perhaps give grudgingly? Or because we feel that we have a duty to do so, we, have, we need to do, we need, we need to give, right? But it says we need to give cheerfully, so I'm giving cheerfully. Time, talent, treasure. We can give our, 
our time, talent, those things that we've been gifted with to serve the body, then there's also the treasure. That's a test. That's a test to someone who has not learned to just give because you trust that the Lord will do something. And he desires to do something, first and foremost, in your heart. Secondly, using that as a resource to bless the body of Christ. In fact, Jesus used the widow giving all she had, two mites. Imagine that, two mites. Use that situation as an object lesson for his disciples. In fact, he went out of his way. He called his disciples over. He said, you know that, you see that woman there? She gave, she gave everything she had. The others, they gave out of their abundance. But she gave everything. It was a lesson for the disciples. Have generous hearts. It doesn't go unnoticed. And the Lord is the one that regards that as right-hearted giving. Well, what we see here is something that is consistent, as we just, as I just noted, with those. It's consistent. We see here a people who were happy, cheerful givers. It says here that they rejoiced and kept bringing until they had finished. They they had an abundance, and they had enough to do the work. You see, God's blessings, people's generosity, and good stewardship brought about the restoration of the house of the Lord, including the purchase of all the utensils necessary to serve the Lord with. Brings me back to um, 12 years ago. About 12 years ago, at this time, we were still looking for a place. We were at a community center, and we were at a point to where I knew that that the Lord was going to bring us into a, a a physical location, one that we, would, we could call home. And it was in January of 2011 that the Lord provided this place. It was actually that place. Because <laughs> there was a wall right here. We just added this a year ago. It was a year ago. And I think back, and then all the years since then, how it is that the Lord has been faithful you know, God provided, and it was, it was awesome because we've had a budget from the very beginning. We, we, we were saving just in anticipation for what God wanted to do. And God provided in one short year enough funds to come in and do everything from the building of the stage to the sound booth back there to the chairs, the, the flooring, um, the building of this wall back here. We have two bay doors, three bay doors now that are back here. You don't see them. I mean, all the lighting, these were all shop lights. Uh, It's amazing how the Lord stirs the hearts of his people and trusts the leadership with those finances to plan all these things. And then everyone came together. and, And in two weeks, in two weeks, we had everything finished. And the Lord provided our CUP in a short, what, six weeks? In six weeks, which is unheard of. Conditional use permit for us to operate here. That's what the Lord does. That's his faithfulness. And I expect nothing less as we continue. And he's done that for the last 13 years. God is, God is good. Well, 
is wonderful, right? Because it's his work. What he started, and this is why, for me, I don't stress out. It's all in his hands. This is his church. It's not my church. It's not your church. It's a place where we can gather together. It's his church, right? And he provides. And there's more to come. Until, until the Lord snatches us up to be with him, we have to be found being about the, Lord, the Father's business, right? Well, the Lord stirred the hearts of his people. Oh, they gave until everything was taken care of, and including the purchase of all of the utensils, replacing them, that all the utensils that were necessary uh, to serve the Lord with in the house of the Lord. That was absolutely amazing. Let's continue. Verse 12. And the king and Jehoiada gave it to those who had charge of the work of the house of the Lord. And they hired masons and carpenters to restore the house of the Lord, and also workers in iron and bronze to repair the house of the Lord. So those who were engaged in the work labored, and the repairing went forward in their hands, and they restored the house of God to its proper condition and strengthened it. And when they had finished, they brought the rest of the money before the king of Jehoiada, and with it were made utensils for the house of the Lord, both for the service and for the burnt offerings, and dishes for incense and vessels of gold and silver. And they offered burnt offerings in the house of the Lord regularly all the days of Jehoiada. And so we have the completion of the restoration of the, of the house of the Lord, along, like I said, with with all of the utensils necessary to serve the Lord. And the burnt offerings were known to have been taking place regularly. Verse 15, let's continue. But Jehoiada grew old and full of days and died. He was 130 years old at his death. And they buried him in the city of David among the kings because he had done good in Israel and toward God and his house. 130 years old. Wow. Amazing. It means we're all babies in here. <laughs> 130. Can you imagine 130 years old? Well, as long as I have the strength of Caleb, I, I have no problem living till I'm 130 years old. But man, when, when we get to a certain point and, you know, as the weather changes, you, you feel it. You're like, well, I don't know about 130. <laughs> Jehoiada. I was a man that honored the Lord, and he was honored. He was honored at his death, being buried in the city of David, and he was buried among the kings. He served that well. You see, one person can be used to influence and save a nation. Think of Moses. Think of Joshua. Remember Esther? She was in that place for such a time as this. Oh, and then we have the judges that were assigned to Israel when they were knuckleheads and they went down the wrong path, right? And they were, they were disciplined and then they cried out to the Lord and then the Lord sent them judges to save them. It was a judge that would do that, lead the nation back into that place of rightful living before God. What is God doing with you? You know, he's doing a work with you. He desires to do a work through you. How are you willing to be used by God? 
You know, Isaiah said this in response to God in Isaiah 6, 8, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. May that be our hearts. That was the heart of Jehoiada, and it should be our hearts too as we consider our God and how gracious he's been toward us. You know, Jehoiada, having been given 130 years of life, he was one who redeemed those years well. He used them well. May this be said of you when you die, well done, good and faithful servant. It's because of you that people have drawn closer to the Lord. You have served the Lord well. Reminded of a portion of the song, I have decided to follow Jesus, which says, though none go with me, I still will follow. Jim Elliott said this, quote, Father, make of me a crisis man. Bring those I contact to decision. Let me not be a milepost on a single road. Make me a fork that men must turn one way or another on facing Christ in me. Close quote. May that be us in our hearts. May we be those men and women who faithfully serve the Lord and desire that others come to know salvation, surrendering to Jesus Christ as Lord. But we need to see, we need to note as we continue what happens here. After Jehoiada dies, and then they honor him, they, they grieve his passing. But then in verse 17, it says, Now after the death of Jehoiada, the princes of Judah came and paid homage to the king. Then the king listened to them. And they abandoned the house of the Lord, the God of their fathers, and served the ashram and the idols. And wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this guilt of theirs. Yet he sent prophets among them to bring them back to the Lord. He's testified against them, but they would not pay attention. How sad, right? How sad. You see, at this point, Jehoiada couldn't help them any longer. He wasn't around to exhort, to admonish, rebuke. He wasn't around to correct them or lead them in righteousness. But after Jehoiada's death, as the leaders of the people came and surrounded King Joash, and they spoke what was in their hearts, he listened to them. And this caused him to abandon, along with everyone else, the worship of God. They left the house of the Lord. Apparently, these princes or these leaders of Judah weren't worth listening to, even though they were in unity and agreeing. Jehoiada was consistently faithful to God, but they chose to turn their backs on God and worship false gods. Wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem. And God sent prophets to warn them and lead them to repentance. This is what he desires, that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance. We should be convicted by the Spirit that, we, that, 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 that conviction would lead to repentance that leads to life eternal. 
what God desires. He disciplines those whom he loves, right? It's just not for the sake of punishment, for the sake of revealing to the person that they're in the wrong place. They're in sin. Just as Nathan was sent to David to serve, to reveal to him what he had done with Bathsheba. So it is the Lord does with us on a regular basis. He reveals those things that we may confess and then repent. So it is the love that God had shown to his people once more. He had sent these prophets to go tell them, hey, listen, we're testifying against you. You need to change. You need to turn from your ways. You have abandoned your God and you have gone after idols. But even at that, they did not listen to the prophets. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. These prophets that God sent told the leaders that they were wrong, that they were in sin, but they did not listen to the word of God. So it is a warning for you and I when we are confronted with the word of God. We ought to submit to the authority of the word of God. We should listen to what God is speaking, what he is saying. Verse 20 says, Then the Spirit of God clothed Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, and he stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, Why do you break the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. But they conspired against him, and by command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness that Jehoiada, Zechariah's father, had shown him, but killed his son. And when he was dying, he said, May the Lord see and avenge. The Lord of the Spirit came upon the son of Jehoiada, Zechariah, and he stood before the people and rebuked them for forsaking the Lord. Oh, one man against a, a whole nation. Imagine that. And what is required of you and I that we just be simply faithful and confident being one with the Lord is enough. Oh, I, I love men like Zechariah. I love men like Jehoiada. That we're willing to stand, stand on the side of righteousness, stand with the Lord, even though they stand alone. They're standing in the right place. Think about that. In the day in which we're living in today, do you feel like one person, one woman, one man standing on the side of righteousness? So be it, you're standing in the right place. Stand. This was a man who was sent to rebuke them for forsaking the Lord, but they all agreed to kill him, and they did, completely disregarding the faithfulness and kindness of his father, Jehoiada. 130 years old, and for his entire life, he served God. And they disregarded him, and they killed Zechariah. Well, James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And this is, this is all that he was telling them. You need to draw near to God. If you don't, if you forsake him, he will leave you to that. 
Romans 1 speaks of that. Because because they had forsaken God, he let them go, and they could no longer prosper. They rejected the word and killed the messenger. But make note of the fact that it was Jehoiada who had placed his life on the line for Joash. But Joash was now willing to reject a warning brought by the very mouth of Jehoiada, the, the Jehoiada's son, Zechariah. And he was so, at this time, callous in heart that he was willing to authorize his killing. This is evidence of how people can turn and be so wicked. Trust in your own heart and you are capable of the same. It doesn't take long. It really doesn't. Zechariah asked God to be just. As he was being killed, he asked the Lord, may the Lord see and avenge, which he was desiring that God would just reveal himself as being just, to see and consider and hold them accountable for what they were doing. And God did indeed hold Joash and Judah accountable. Verse 23 says, At the end of the year, the army of the Syrians came up against Joash. They came to Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed all the princes of the people from among the people and sent all their spoil to the king of Damascus. Though the army of the Syrians had come with few men, the Lord delivered into their hand a very great army because Judah had forsaken the Lord, the God of their fathers. Thus they executed judgment on Joash. So as we read here, the foolish leaders, they were all killed. Their riches, well, it was plundered. All of it. The defeat was disproportionate. A few Syrians were victorious over a great many that made up the army of Judah. You see, God had promised Israel the opposite if they were faithful, obedient to his commandments, but warned that everything he promised to do to Israel's enemies, he would do to them and turn on them if they disobeyed his commandments. It was a warning to them. And God was true to his word. It should cause them to confess and repent, knowing that God is faithful. Verse 25, when they had departed from him, leaving him severely wounded, his servants conspired against him because of the blood of the son of Jehoiada the priest and killed him on his bed. So he died and they buried him in the city of David, but they did not bury him in the tombs of the kings. Those who conspired against him were Zabad, the son of Shimeath, the Ammonite, and Jehoshaphat, the son of Shimrith, the Moabite. Accounts of his sons and of the many oracles against him and of the rebuilding of the house of God are written in the story of the book of the kings. And Amaziah, his son, reigned in his place. Those who were left of the servants of Joash agreed to kill him because of what he had done to Zechariah, Jehoiada's son. His life was required of him because he took another's life. What a terrible end to a beautiful beginning. A lesson to be learned, something to be considered, a warning to be heeded. What a waste of grace. Favor. Well, disregarded. It was such an amazing beginning. Such a scandalous ending. To all that God had provided. That's why we ought to be careful. Even though we can be brought up in a home that encourages us and builds us up in the Lord, oh, how easily our hearts 
can go astray and we can do such things. Never trust in your heart, but walk faithfully with the Lord. Draw near to him. C.H. Spurgeon said this, and I end with this quote. There was a want of principle in Joash, and it is of that I want to warn all our friends. Do not, I pray you, be satisfied with the practice of piety without the principles of piety. It is not enough to have a correct creed. You must have a renewed heart. It is not sufficient to have an ornate ritual. You must have a holy life. And to be holy, you must be renewed by the Holy Spirit. If this change is not wrought in you by the Holy Ghost, you who yield so readily to do good will yield just as quickly to evil. Close quote. Father, I pray that we would heed this warning, Lord, that we would again take the example of what we just studied and read and see how you were faithful, Lord, even in this moment and are always faithful, Lord. You have given ample warning. You've given instructions according to your word. And Lord, you are faithful. Your word will come about. Lord, may our hearts reflect a passion and a desire and a zeal for things that would bring you glory. May we commit ourselves to serving you, blessing you generously with the entirety of our lives, that we may prove that we are yours and that we love you. Lord, in the relationship that we have with you, Lord, may we enjoy it now. May it serve to give us a great anticipation and excitement for what is to come, Lord, when we are in your presence for all eternity, one day soon. We thank you for this time, Father, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.